for a community to be its strongest, you have to have a place where people can afford to live and work and that those jobs are sustainable. Pod BN. Elections Edition. Here we go from the Play Normal Esports Studio. This is Pod BN. I am Tyson. And I'm Justin. You might know me actually as Zach. And today we are talking to Pat Turner, candidate for Normal Town Council. Before we talk to Pat, I want to thank our sponsor, Lil Beaver Brewery. Lil Beaver Brewery, taste the rainbow. What? Is that copyright infringement that you hear? No, it's not, because the R in rainbow was replaced by a W. So you can go in and taste their Wainbow's beer. Or if you are interested in something a little different, you can also try the dark side of the rainbow. Both available at... Little Beaver Brewery by the Large Gold's Gym in South Veterans. All right, Pat, hi. Thanks for coming in today. Thanks for having me. So to start off, just tell us a little bit about yourself. How long have you been here in Bloomington Normal, and uh, what are you involved in? So I want to start by saying I'm Pat Turner, and I am excited about running for Normal Town Council. I hope to be a catalyst for change for our community. So I've uh, been in this community for a long time, and I'm really proud to call it home uh, for over 30 years. So it looks like it's been my whole life, but not quite my whole life, right? (laughs) Longer than I've been any other place, so that um, it's home for me. And I came back in, I'd say, about 1988 and um, um, literally raised my son here in Normal. He was um, in the Unit 5 schools. I've worked at ISU. I've uh, graduated both with my master's and my... um, Uh, uh, my master's and my bachelor's at ISU. I uh, worked several places in the community. um, And mostly now, currently, I'm the executive director of the Center for Hope Outreach Programs. And that that is really where I've kind of plugged into the community in a way that um, has made it really special for me. And if if I can, I'll I'll kind of take you back a little bit into into that. yeah, so, um, so you said you came here in 88. Where were you before that? Sure. So I came to Normal from Ohio. I was a student at Kent State University, mm-hmm. uh, but I'm a native of Chicago, so I, it's kind of a roundabout trip and, and back to Illinois. Okay. So what, uh, what brought you out of Chicago and to Ohio and to downstate here? Well, I have family that had attended Illinois State University. My brother had come here. I had another sister that come had come here. And so when I was thinking about transferring from Kent State, this seemed like an ideal place to, to come. Uh, I was familiar with Chicago or Midwest weather, and, and so that was fine, and, and it turned out to be a nice choice. Good deal. So what did you study at ISU? Sorry, you already said that. But I... Well, no, well, I didn't tell you what oh, my, sorry, my majors were okay. in. Yeah. So my, my undergraduate degree is in foreign languages and cultures. So I, I um, concentrated on Spanish, uh, but I'm also interpreter for deaf and hard of hearing. So I learned sign language, and I've studied some other languages, too, uh, on the side. That's something I really love doing. Um, and then my master's is in politics and government with a specialty in community and economic development. Okay. Why did you find foreign languages to, what did you find, 
What do you find interesting about studying foreign languages? Why did that captivate you? Because it's how you relate to people. We are people who communicate. And when you want to reach somebody right where they are, if you greet them in their own language, wow, what a way to open up doors, remove barriers. And I saw that as a way to to really reach and get to know people in in a, a more meaningful way. So underrepresented groups have kind of been the uh, the focus of your career. Was that always the intention that, that you knew coming in, or what was the idea that you were planning to do with your degree it, path? It actually was not a plan I had at all. I came, uh, when I first came to um, Normal, I was really struggling. I came here again. Uh, I became a student early on, and uh, I was a single mom, and so... I can tell you, I spent the first 15 years uh, in normal dependent on public transportation here. Um, There were times when my family didn't know where we were going to get our next meal. And so that's the story I wanted to take you back to. We literally uh, were helped by uh, members of our church. Uh, I can remember one time when they actually came to our house with two bags of groceries to, to be a blessing to us. And what they didn't know is a year prior to that, I had had this vision that I would start a food program. Well, seeing them at the door a year later, it just brought it all back. And um, I went into the house with those groceries. I told my family, we're going to take the contents of this first bag, we'll put it on a shelf. We'll take the contents of the second bag, put it on a different shelf. We'll eat from this one. We'll give from the other. We actually opened the Center for Hope food pantry in my home that day almost 30 years ago. And I've been given from that bag of groceries. And I'm going to tell you, that organization now has grown to become a multifaceted human service organization that feeds, uh, serves tens of thousands of people throughout McLean County. Hmm. Yeah, tell us tell us more about that then. How did you go from your bag of groceries to the organization? It's people. And I love, that's the thing I love about interacting with and working with people. So in my need, I was able to reach out to other people. And then uh, we heard from an Eagle Scout that was looking to get his badge, his Eagle Scout badge. And he heard about the service that we were doing out of my home still uh, two years later. And so he went to his church. First United Methodist Church, and redid one of their closet storage spaces and created a real-life pantry in there. And so we were able to move into there. We, we served there for years. Later on, it continued to grow and meet additional needs. We moved to College Park Christian Church and was there, moved over on Hovey and Normal, and just served Normal for over 27 years. We were uh, one of the only pantries serving that community. And uh, we've grown now. We're currently at 1308 East Empire in Bloomington. We've added on a complete clothing distribution center uh, where people can come and get resources for jobs, for interviews, for whatever school, whatever they have going on in their life. We go into jails. We go into nursing homes. We just really, wherever the needs are, it just that's where I'm kind of going. And that's really what's motivating me to take this next step because there's still more need. There's still more to be done. 
Well, you talk about the needs and, and, and those goals here in the community. I think for folks that have been here either a short time or a long time, it may not be. The, the reason it's underrepresented is because there, there may not be that, that bright marketing plan for that. But uh, talk a little bit about, you know, how this need has fit for the community because there is a significant population. Exactly, exactly. You know, there's not a week that doesn't go by um, when I don't get someone at our, our organization asking about help with utilities, asking, excuse me, <clears throat> about um, help with um, rent or resources or something like that. Um, but those go hidden, and so many of these families are working every day. So I know it's difficult for people to see it. You have to actually have a hands-on um, grasp of it, and I, I just am uh, privilege. I feel privileged to actually meet the people who are in these situations. But here's what I know about normal and the Twin Cities as at large is that people care when they know the problem exists. People are willing to step up. We've got tons of great volunteers that help out throughout the community. So I want to keep getting that word out. I want to keep shining a light on those problems and on those concerns so that we can all address them and have a, a, a stronger community. I'm sure to some extent the work is never done in, in getting that word out. But do you feel like the community has done a, a, a better job as you've gone along through that process, understanding and, and coming to support? Well, I, I'm going to give uh, hats off to, to all that put their hands and their efforts to this. I will say, though, that unfortunately, from the national scale to the local scale, we're going backwards in a way that I don't want to see. We're, we're starting to get really territorial. We're starting to get fearful. We're starting to worry about mine and just mine. And, and we got to get away from that. And I hope I can help to pivot back to some really common sense, common caring practices that I know that we're capable of. Yeah, as far as thinking of others, it, I'm still, I'm still kind of back uh, thinking about your story of you know, there you are in need, and um, you know you, you got a family at that time, mm-hmm. your kids are hungry, but yet in that time you're still thinking of others who might have a greater need than yourself. Uh, not everyone thinks that way, you know. Uh, what do you attribute that aspect of your character to? So I will say I've got some really great parents, and I, I, I thank my, my dad and mom for just instilling some really good uh, principles in us. Um, but also, I have a—my relationship with God is, is a key part of who I am. I'm a minister at the Center for Hope Church, and so I serve in lots of ways, and I'm always reminded that we're here not just for ourselves, that uh, we're here to serve others, and so I try to stay mindful of that. Yeah. I thought about that before with, with tithing or with giving to your church about mm-hmm. how um, to— one aspect of that that I like a lot is that, like, I'm in control of how much I have at that point, right? Like, exactly. my situation, the, life is not determining how much I have. Like, I'm willingly, I never, you never feel like you have enough, right? That's just human nature. You always could get more. And so by saying, like, I'm going to voluntarily let go of this and, um, you know, let a, given to a charity or given to a religious organization, you know, like, um, you know, let, let that, let God work out what's done with that part. I'm not going to control that part. Exactly. And, and, And you give a good example when you 
stay close-fisted. Nothing gets in either. When you open up your hand, so much can come, and, and that's how I feel. I feel that I actually have been given more than I give, and that's just the, the kickback that comes when you live a life that's others-directed and that really strives to bring other people to their best selves, and that's what I continue to do. Yeah, great. I, I know some of the groups that you focused on in particular, and uh, that's something you've said throughout the, the campaign as well, students and, and those with disabilities. How do you come across those folks if if they are upper, underrepresented? It can be sometimes a challenge to, to get to the right people and, and to get them the right type of need. What has gone into that process, and, 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 and how do you seek out those individuals? You know, you said two words right there that are absolutely key. You said seek out. If we sit and wait for these voices to come to us, if we wait for people to reveal themselves, it doesn't happen. You have to actually get out of your comfort zone, out of your cultural comfort space, and go to where people are. Get to know them on their terms, on their turf. And those are the kinds of things that I want to bring to the council table. Do you feel like that is not being done well at the council level as it currently stands? The things you'd like to see be changed or are there you know, decisions that were made in the recent past that you feel like were missed opportunities? I, I have to say that this is an area that I think we can improve a great deal on. And I think sometimes we just don't know what we're missing. You don't know what you don't know. And so sometimes it really just takes uh, someone, I, I believe I have a, a strength and a gift and a lot of experience in reaching across cultures. Sometimes it takes that wingman, if you will, to come and say, hey, I want to introduce you to this segment of the community or here's somebody over here that you never knew before and bring those those voices together. So that's something I, I feel I can contribute. That isn't quite happening to the degree that I think we can do. Yeah, I, I think local politics is so important. I mean, that's why we're spending our time doing this podcast here. Uh, one of the reasons is to not just political uh, but also, you know, people starting local business, people working in charities. There's just a lot of great things going on, and um, people don't know about it, right? I mean, absolutely. You, you, teaching and connecting, like you talk about, is so important when it comes to things local. Um, do you feel like that's, you know, you've been around here for 30 years, do you feel like that's always kind of been the case? Have things changed at all in that regard? It, well, yes and no. Like mm -hmm. I said, uh, up until recently, I was excited about the momentum, the direction. I think our, our community has been doing some great things. I mean, I, I brag on this community. I, I, I'm probably its number one ambassador, and I feel good about what we're doing well. Now I just want us to look at what we can do better, and I don't want us to follow the trend that we see maybe happening at the national scale. I want us to be trendsetters. I want us to say, hey, hey, we can do better, and here's a model example of what it looks like for a community to live well together. As, a, as an ambassador for the community, what are some things you tell people that we do well here? So I always tell people, this is a very giving community. When people know that there is a need, a concern, a call that needs to be answered, 
people generally answer that call, whether it's with their service, their time, their energy, or their finances. Uh, what we don't do as well, we're not as forgiving as we are giving. We don't do well at giving that second chance to that person who maybe has had one too many hard knocks in their life. We don't give that second chance to someone who may not know the cultural norms and how to navigate. And so I think we need to grow in that way as well. So you, you mentioned you raised your son here, your son, yes. right? One yes. Son. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, how was your experience here as a mother? Uh, I assume you stayed here, so you found it a nice place to raise kids. I did. I, I absolutely uh, loved the opportunities that he had. I both I worked in Unit 5 schools as a uh, special ed teaching assistant. He went through the Unit 5 school systems and, and got a lot of wonderful support. He played in sports. He was in track and football and um, in he got a scholarship at some point to uh, work at the Bloomington Center for Performing Arts and he's now working in his dream career with uh, as an audio engineer so I think this is the kinds of things that our town does it invests well it's it's got opportunities for young people to be active to be healthy but those opportunities aren't actually equitably available to all that's what I want to help, you know, fix that area so that we all can enjoy the kind of things that my son had the chance to enjoy. Let's see. So you went to ISU. Um, that's that's a big part of what normal is. And it's, that's the original reason why normal was there. Exactly. Um, how do you feel about the interaction between ISU and the normal town council right now? Okay, awesome. So uh, you hear the phrase town and gown. I get it. I absolutely get it. When I first moved here in 88, my experience was immediately with the university. As a community member, there was a faith group on campus that would meet in Cape and Auditorium all the time, and I became a member of that group. And so that was that first connection, community and and, uh, an RSO, or Registered Student Organization, working together. After that, like I said, I found employment at ISU, and so I continued to to serve as um, in the printing services there and then later on in uh, disability concerns, and so that became a part of my world. Um, It wasn't until later I went back to school because I I ended up having my son uh, shortly after coming from Kent, and so I took some time off to to, to, uh, get him started uh, well in life and went back to school got the undergraduate degree, continued, got the master's degree, and continued to be a really vital part of the ISU town community. I know that there is no normal if there were no normal school. That was the what they were called when, when they were teaching colleges. And so I know that the two are interdependent on each other. And so I want to see that kind of collaboration grow. I want to see that policies that are enacted are are uh, enacted with the consideration that it impacts student and community members alike. And you've had a good opportunity to to really see how it's changed since the uh, late (laughs) 80s and early 90s around campus. Quite a bit of change, yes, yes. Uh, Something that I I, I 
found interesting was when you talked about um, how you had to depend on some of the, the public transit. Uh, yes. That's another thing that I've seen change greatly in the, the 10 years that, that I've been here. But I, I, I guess just talk a little bit about how that, that was in, the, in that time frame and, and, and how that's either advanced or, or not advanced since, since then. That's a great question. So, wow. My experiences with the, uh, at, at the time it was Bloomington Normal Public Transit and now Connect Transit, I have a um, bittersweet relationship there. And I'm going to say that I'm so grateful, number one, that that's a service that this community offers because I do know that many of our surrounding towns and villages don't have a public transportation system. And so I applaud us for that effort and for having it. Um, I can tell you, though, um, as, a, as a single mom uh, raising a child in, in, in the town and going from my work to my community service involvement to my church engagements, um, it was difficult sometimes to navigate that system. Uh, when I first came here, there were only, I want to say, a, B, C, D, E, F, G. I think it stopped at G <laughs> uh, bus lines. So that's about seven bus lines that uh, would run every hour or so. And um, it, it, it wasn't the easiest system to navigate. I remember days when I would go to drop my son off at daycare and then run like the wind to try to get back to the corner only to miss the bus that would have taken me to work on time. I see that, I've experienced that, and I really advocate for systems that can help people get to schools, get to appointments, get to their jobs in meaningful ways, and become active in recreational activities. Uh, I know what it's like to not be able to attend a, a PTA meal, meeting or an after-school track or, or event for my child because there's no transportation after hours. And so these are things that I hope as we're making changes in our current system, that all of those components are, are taken into consideration. Well, consideration and uh, and changes are part of planning, and I know I'm with two planning folks here, so I, I appreciate that. You were part of the tw normal 2020 vision plan. Uh, talk about your experience with that and uh, and and what you've seen develop since, since that started. So I have to say that 2020 vision planning session I participated in 2010 on that. So I again, I love that normal is very forward looking, that we are, we're not waiting to last minute to address the issues and, and we're trying to look at how this town can grow and develop into the future. Um, I was gr glad to have a voice on that committee, and one of my concerns were um, mobility. And uh, out of that particular commission came some expansion to our trails and our bike systems and things like that. Um, I still think there's room for improvement with that. I look and I see children that walk to school, especially in the wintertime when, when maybe the, the plows have left huge mountains, I call it, along the edge of the road. They're walking in the street to get to school. That's not okay. I see lots of communities where there's no sidewalk at all. And we want to create this healthy, walkable, viable community. Um, so there's still work to be done there. Yeah, I find that interesting. Um, I don't know the exact timing of that phase in 
in residential development when they didn't have sidewalks anymore. I think it was in the 70s. But my neighborhood is mixed where there's sidewalks and you go on them and then all of a sudden you just run out and you have to walk on the road for a while and then you come back. Um, my neighbor who's got kids, they're trying to learn their bikes, but sorry, they're trying to learn how to ride their bikes, but they don't have a sidewalk to do it on. So they're, you know, they're, he's trying to like put up cones in the road to warn people. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, I would hope that we could get around if for Bloomington to normal of trying to, you know, go back and revise and realize that wasn't a great development decision there and you really need to at least on one side of the road have a sidewalk for people to go on exactly i think that was a concept that didn't just hit our area but it it was just popular uh and maybe because it was a way to save money and to be fiscally responsible but the the long-term results are just like you said Our children can't ride their bikes. We don't have walkable communities. We've moved grocery stores and those kinds of things outside of the communities, and and now we're dependent upon cars to get everywhere. That's not good for the environment. So I think we do need to rethink all of that and look at ways to continue to grow healthier communities. Uh, Well, I warned you about this. We're coming up at the halfway point, so I'm going to do a little lightning round. Um, You know, just if so, I'll say some words uh, about things around normal, and uh, just tell me what comes to your mind in in a few words. Doesn't have to be one word. Um, If you do go over ten words, I'm going to have the sound of uh, (laughs) I'm going to have a sound of a train coming through. Oh my goodness! Okay. (laughs) So that's your only limit. Um, No, just kidding about that. Although I did do that to Karen Smith on hers. Uh, I I like to have a little fun with the editing. Anyway, so ready to go. Sure. Okay. Uptown Normal. Uptown Normal. Well, a place that we can be proud of, a place that uh, has definitely um, has wonderful shops, wonderful local businesses, a good place to support. uh, That's Uptown Normal. Great. Uh, Normal (laughs) Library. One of my hearts and one of the treasures of Normal, I look for it to be able to continue to grow and expand. Sports complex. Wow. What a big project, right? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, TIF districts. TIF districts. It's a valuable tool if used right. It can be a win for the city. Uh, Mayor Coos. Mayor Coos, great leader. Uh, Mark Peterson. Mark Peterson, another great city leader. And the last one is Urban Sprawl. Urban sprawl. We got to get a control on it. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll have more on those, on maybe some of those topics, and want to hear more about your platform right after this break. Thank you. It's cold outside, but before you know it, it's going to be summer, and you're going to need to be looking for summer camps for your kids. Well, the newest summer camp in Bloomington is Camp El Dorado. The open-source classroom makerspace, Kuksuwan Martial Arts Studio, and Play Normal Esports are coming together for a series of weeks of activities for your kids. Each day is filled with activities that stimulate the brain, exercise the body, and entertain with video games. $600 includes lunch and snacks for a whole week. There are three different sessions in June and July. To find more information, you can go to osc3d.com slash summer camps. That's osc3d.com slash summer camps or search online for Camp El Dorado. (laughs) 
So, Pat, I'm looking at your platform here. you got three bullets. Uh, one is serving underrepresented groups. The other one is delivering affordable housing. And the third one is uh, delivering a model for best practices for workforce development. So uh, the workforce development one is interesting. I haven't heard anyone else talk about that in their platform. So can you tell me a little bit about what you're thinking on that? So I think it's for a community to be its strongest, you have to have a place where people can afford to live and work and that those jobs are sustainable. What I know is where we have three, we have Heartland, we have ISU, we have Illinois Wesleyan right here in the Twin Cities. We have um, cosmetology schools. We've got other places of learning. We're creating this wealth of leadership capacity, a wealth of skills capacity, and then it trickles right on out of the community. I want to create the opportunity for graduates from these various programs to know that they can come here, that they can do like I did, raise a family and feel good about it, that they can find meaningful, well-paying jobs right here in our community. And so that's, that's really the direction that I'm looking at there. As an economic development person, I also uh, am very focused on workforce development. Uh, and I think we know that education is a, a big part of that, but it really is about starting that at an early level and showing that we have those opportunities. And I'm sure that's something that comes up as, as you discuss that. Absolutely. And, and there's something else to say, and that's, you know, when you look at the younger generations, the millennials, if you will, they're not just looking for a job to go to. They're looking to start their own businesses. They're looking for entrepreneurial opportunities. And we've got to be that community that says, hey, yeah, you can make it. You can do really well. You can succeed in a business here. There are business incubators. There's development of the economic development councils. There are places that are soar. There's the, the, a small business development center. There's places that will help you get your business off and flourishing. And the more that they know that, it's got to be well marketed. The more that people know that, the more they're likely to choose this community. And then it continues to grow and expand in a, in, in a well-balanced way. Yeah, I'll just say from my own experience as an ISU student, it just it never even entered my mind to start my own business. It was like, okay, I'm graduating who can I get to pay me to do some kind of job, right? Exactly. I'm at State Farm now, and I'm happy with that. It treats me well. I like the stable income. But, I mean, I will say talking to, the more I talk to these small business owners around here in town or people with that kind of experience, it's it's pretty inspiring the the risks that they take to try to reap that reward or have that vision mm-hmm. that they have. Or even, mm-hmm. not even a small business, but like the... Um, like the charity that, that yeah. you started, right? Not for profits. That's huge, and there's such a contribution. You get if you get a good balance of, you know, your traditional businesses and corporations, your not for profits, your um, entrepreneurial endeavors. What what a thriving community you can have. And it's a great community to do that in too, because if you look at, like, let's say we were you know, a tenth of the size, Mm -hmm. then you don't really have the population or the economy to try to, um, you know, patronize a a store that, that, you know, that's just starting up or be able to fund a charity. Um, If it's so much bigger, then you've got bureaucracy, you probably already have competition, you've got, um, 
you know, issues with finding a space that you can afford. You know, exactly. rent's really high. So I, that's one of the reasons I think that it's one of the things about Bloomington where we're in like, we're in a sweet spot of so many different things. We are. <laughs> it's a great community. Sorry, I say Bloomington because Bloomington. That's okay. Normal. It's a great community. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you bring up affordable housing. Um, that's something that's been uh, not only a, a hot topic here, but really at the U.S. level. It's it's kind of an area where, where do you find that? And similar to workforce development, it's part of its education and with our, our real estate. But uh, what what's your uh, what's your idea with affordable housing? So the first thing I say is we really have to get a grasp, and especially in normal at how big the the challenge really is. And I think this is where we need a lot of work because I think our our focus has been in other directions. Meanwhile, the homeless shelters in this area have been full for years to capacity with wait lists. That's not okay. Um, People living, uh, I, I mentioned earlier that people come to us asking at the Center for Hope for help with utilities and rents, and that's not not even a service that we directly provide. We, we help to connect them to those resources. But now they're coming saying, can you help us find money for fuel to keep the van we're living in running? That's not okay. We've got abandoned buildings. We've got um, buildings with vacancies. We've got um, Apartments where the market rate rents are well above the salaries of many of our citizens' income. And so somehow we've got to bring those into balance. And so that's that's where we've got to put our attention. And if we don't, we run the risk of being that community that becomes a magnet to crime, a magnet to um, gangs, a magnet to the kinds of uh, element that prey on poverty. If we get ahead of it, which I believe we can do, we become the kind of magnet that we want to be, that attracts families that say, hey, what a great place to raise my family. What a safe place. What a wonderful, thriving community. That's the kind of magnet I'd like for us to be. I think it's also important to, to really be able to define affordable housing. Um, I think for a lot of people, it, it can get confusing, you know, for somebody coming out of college that maybe had help with their, their rent while they're in college. Affordable housing means something drastically different from uh, a family that's working paycheck to paycheck to, mm-hmm. to keep those those things moving. So I guess, uh, you know, how do we define that for our citizens so that they can get on the right mindset? So I, I will say the best way to look at it is to say, can you sustain, can you continue to live sustainably in the place where you live? Is it taking up more than one-third of your income? If it's doing that, which it is for so many people who are paying well over a third of their income just for basic rent, that's a problem. We've got to realize we are actually the... uh, Retail, I, I shouldn't say fast food, I'll even say capital of the nation. I don't know if you were aware of that. And so we know that oftentimes those aren't going to be high wage incomes. I'm happy that there's going to be some income, uh, some wage increases. But uh, right now, you're looking at low levels of income and wages 
and higher and increasing higher rates of rent and and uh, mortgages. So there's a way to bring those two into congruence so that people can live in the place where they contribute. So what role do you think the town plays in trying to help out with that? So when we look at our development opportunities, we we need to look more broadly at uh, investing in the areas of our community where we see these um, discrepancies, where we see things out of balance. We've got to look at uh, ways to bring more mixed-income communities so that um, some kind, sometimes the cost-sharing of a mixed-income community can make a difference. Uh, we've got to look at the kinds of projects that we choose and when we choose them. When we're uh, making long-term plans for our city or our town, we need to know that the finances that we have, it's, it's, it's going to go where we direct it. And the most urgent issues right now are that people can call this home and call it a safe place to live and call it a place where they can continue to raise a family. Affordable housing and workforce development can go hand in hand in that situation, too. Absolutely. The they have to. They have to. So let's talk about Uptown a little bit. That gets a lot of attention in Normal because it's such a dynamic place. Sure. And the, t- and the time I've been here, it sure has changed a lot. I came here in 2003. And so there's been a lot of change. Mm-hmm. So in your view, what what parts of the change in Uptown have been positives and what parts have been negatives, if any? Okay. Okay. So I, I'm going to say this, and I'll be a little lighthearted with it. When I first came to the community, uh, I remember uh, it was kind of a, I don't want to call it a joke, but it was where people would say, here's downtown, and that was when we called it downtown, and they would go, oh, too late, you blinked. Okay. <laughs> I'm so glad they can't say that anymore. We've got a beautiful uptown, and I love the investment that we've put into making sure it's the place to be. You can't blink and miss our uptown. So we've done well with that. Um, I was excited to hear that part of the original comprehensive plan for uptown included moving and relocating our library so that it would have more space to grow. It would have more space to do the phenomenal things that it does because it bridges the digital divide so many people don't have access to computers and the the, the current technology. It provides that the meeting spaces where community leaders and events and organizations come. The investment in our children with their children's programming and keeping our kids educated during the summer, there's so much that it does. So I think we've kind of dropped the ball in not moving forward with that effort before tackling some of the others. Yeah, my my wife is a well, her master's is in library science, and she's on the Bloomington uh, Library Awesome Report. choice. <laughs> uh, uh, so I've, I've absorbed a lot of that information, and I'd say the thing that was most surprising to me as she was going through her studies is the role that public libraries in particular play as a social service. It's amazing. The, you know, for, um, when you think about, like, 
somebody is is uh, out of work and trying to find a way to apply for a job, you got to have a computer there. Um, I mean, if somebody's just like homeless and needs to get into the warmth, exactly or something. Um, if uh, if kids are having trouble at home, if they're you know uh, transient or if they're you know got uh, uncomfortable situations at home where they can't study at somewhere they can go and. Right. A lot of people think like library. You just go and you check out a book, right? But it's it's that, so much a more. Small isn't part it? of what they do. Yeah, I yeah. remember um, when I worked for uh, Unit Five as a, a special ed teaching assistant. Uh, one of the programs we would do is take our students to the library for uh, um, develop skill development and for job training. And so uh, that was another just another one of the hidden opportunities that the library provides. Um, there, My mom is uh, legally blind, and so she's able to still continue. She's an avid reader. She also was a librarian. Mm. And so she continues to be able to get books in Braille or to get materials. Uh, people of different language backgrounds are able to get books in their own language. What a jewel. What a treasure. And I think as we go forward, we must keep our promise to that uh, commitment and, and growth for the library. Yeah. It's interesting, too. I've recently learned more about how there's outreach through our Small Business Development Center to Spanish-speaking entrepreneurs and small businesses locally. Exactly. It's one of those underrepresented communities that you think, even in Bloomington Normal, yes. It's mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. So there's controversy right now around the circle, uh, in particular the... Uh, I My... My Bloomington focus comes through sometimes. I can't remember the building. The Trail, Trail East, East yeah. office Trail, uh, yeah. building. So there's Uptown yeah. 1, and the issue with that is the vacant bottom floor, and then you've got the mural and the Trail East building. So let's say you're on the council um, right now. How, what, do you, what do you do in this situation? So here's what I know. It's a decided issue that was voted on in, in um, previous to my coming on council, which I hope to do uh, in April. And so when a decision's been made, you make the best of it. So as I come on board, I want to work to make sure that, number one, as that goes forward, that we're including um, opportunities for our local trades, our local laborers to to take part, uh, that we'll look for ways to make sure issues about parking and navigating uptown, which are some of the concerns, uh, listening to the continued concerns about the mural and, and its, you know, displacement. And so we'll, we'll come in and we'll work together to say, how can we go forward having heard the concerns that are out there about this project, taking into consideration as much as we can and trying to have the best of a win-win as we go forward. Well, and for, you know, Tyson and I, we haven't had the the full perspective of how downtown has changed into uptown and and how all of the development has has impacted us. I'm sure we got to see what it used to look like to some extent and and seen how it's been impacted. But does that change or, or, or maybe influence your perspective at all, having seen it kind of develop from from what it was? I'm definitely happy that we've put attention and focus into building our uptown. It's it's our it's what kind of defines normal in so many ways. Um, 
the things that the Children's Discovery Museum is doing there, the the, the uh, hotels that are there now, and the conferences that we're able to bring in. So I'm I'm, I'm definitely happy about growth and improvement. I just want to see it rolled out in a way that's fiscally responsible and that uh, uh, deals with the urgent matters first. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it seems like that achieves some of the goals that you've talked about. I'll, I'll say again, as an ISU student, it would that you know we we spent some time in Uptown Normal, but it wasn't a huge draw. And especially adding that CVS there to me, I used to live in Waterson. Mm-hmm. That would have been huge just to be able to go out and walk over to a convenience store, get some snacks, get some medicine, stuff like that. At ISU, you have to park so far away that it was really harrowing to try to get anywhere, and public transportation always wasn't as helpful as it could have been. So I, I, I draw attention to that spot because I think that corner is nice to have that CVS there. Mm-hmm. But then to your point about affordable housing, the apartments that went on top of that are definitely not affordable housing. They're not at all. So those are the kinds of things moving forward uh, that we have to take into consideration. What are we doing to keep this community? Uh, it's affordable and safe for people who live here because when we don't do that, we become an uh, unintentional magnet for things we don't want to be known for. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see. Pause for editing real quick. <laughs> so jump onto another topic here then. we I mentioned in the lightning round about urban sprawl, and you've said some things about being a walkable city, public transportation and stuff like that. So where do you see the needs in normal to better connect communities? The word is better connect communities. Um, I think we followed some trends that were popular at the time for city planning, and that is to build these exterior communities um, where there are no stores, there are no uh, schools, there's no access, uh, there's one road in, there's one road out, and and those kinds of things. And that was popular, and it was an idea worth trying. Uh, But what we see when that happens is it causes families to have to depend on the automobile for all transportation. So every child in the family has an automobile and every adult has one to get to work and back. And what we're seeing now is that doesn't make sense environmentally um, when we have walkable communities. In fact, it doesn't even make sense health-wise. And I don't know, uh, you talk about Bloomington, and I I know that I I have a focus on normal, but um, there's some zip code, um, the 61701 area code in Bloomington has some of the highest rates of things like obesity and hypertension and um, some some health um, nutrition related challenges in the entire state. Uh, so 
we need to keep those kinds of things in mind when we're building communities and when we're building new areas and developing new areas that maybe having that grocery store and that gas station and that recreational park and all of those things be a part of a healthy community so that kids can ride their bikes and families can go for a walk and people can be get to know each other. That The value even of becoming neighbors again, we lose that when we sprawl like we're doing. So are there any, is there a particular area that comes to mind where you see an opportunity or something can be revised that currently exists to better connect? So if you ask me, every area in normal is an opportunity to grow and improve. Um, but again, where where those communities, and I, I'll say outliers, where you see no store, where there's no um no businesses, no no opportunities for children to uh, or young people to get involved in recreation. We can improve there, especially so uh, in our communities where we see um, those kinds of things that attract crime or attract gangs, we need to be looking at those communities. We, we can't be okay with saying, oh, well, that's just our poor community. No, we don't have to say that we have that. We can do better. Yeah. I heard a fascinating thing recently that this reminds me of uh, it. When you have places that are walkable, you... Uh, I've got young kids. I got four, six, and eight. Mm-hmm. And so my, my neighborhood's fairly walkable where we are. And I've kind of gradually let them go farther and farther from mm-hmm. the house. On exactly. We got a dog, and my oldest one can kind of walk around the block, you know. And the, what the person was saying is that when you have a walkable neighborhood, you can gradually give children more responsibility. Exactly. So then when they get to that point, when they're 16, they can drive. They've gradually been trusted with more, you know, uh, over time. If your house is just completely constrained and all you can do is drive by the car, drive with the car, you're they they're dependent on everyone up until like that moment and then, you know, boom, they got a car, now they're totally on their own again. And you're worried you're at home worried. Yeah, worried sick, yeah. Yeah, so when you when you leave out that garage and you just go straight to, to wherever, to work or to whatever your commitments are you miss out on the valuable people in community, too, mm-hmm. uh, because you're just pulling out that garage and you're gone. When you're walking, hi to this neighbor, hi to that neighbor. Your kids get to know the, their friends next door. Um, so there's so much. And, 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 and I always say people is the best part of our community. So we've got to give these opportunities for people to interact yeah, that's definitely been my experience because I lived in North Normal for um, three years, and I met one of my neighbors, and then I moved to um, like the center of Bloomington, mm-hmm. and now it's like within a week, all these people were coming by and they were saying hi, and the kids were out playing, and then they, you know they get invited over to there's a retired teacher there, and she invites the kids over for a Christmas party that every so year, awesome. it's a block party, and like. Um, I, I doubt the people themselves who live in these places are any different. It's not like the people in North Normal were unfriendly or something. It's just the construction of the whole area just mm-hmm. did not did not lend itself to being out and actually socializing with people. So. And, and we we need each other. We yeah. need each other. So I look for and we have some really good well-structured communities and normal just like that. Uh, We just need to make sure that as we continue to grow, that we're growing with that focus. Yeah. 
The starting point for that is conversations, and I know that uh, you've, you've you've mentioned it already here uh, with honest conversations. It, you know, as a as a normal resident at, at, at various times, I feel like they're they're willing to have those conversations. Is it just a, a direction to to what those conversations should be, or do you think there is more need for honest conversation? So when it comes to the council, and I'll say specifically there again. You know the experience that you were raised in. You know the experience that's familiar to you. And oftentimes, it's just life that you don't know what you don't know. And so I think that there's just a forgetting to have these kinds of conversations, to reach out because it's, oh, I didn't realize it was missing. And so I can... For me, this is very obvious. I'm like, no, 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 no. These, this is missing, and this could be here, and this, this is an added part that could bring more perspective, more understanding, and so um, those are the things that I think I uniquely bring to the council table. So uh, the field's pretty big and normal. You got uh, <laughs> nine people and one write-in candidate, I think. Eight and, and, and the one is the ninth is the write-in, yes. Oh, the ninth is the write-in. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. Um, so uh, so who uh, have you got a chance to meet any of the candidates? Are there any ones that you're particularly exciting or excited are running with you or anything like that? So here's the deal. I think our community has some awesome people. And on this uh, campaign trail, I've met some of the awesome people that also are running for Normal Town Council. Some are, are suited in different ways and, and, and others in other ways. Uh, so I think we have a, a slate of really nice options. I'm glad that we get to pick three. There are three open seats. So I, I don't think uh, anyone will have difficulty finding three strong council members. Um, and then and for whoever does not, I, I, I'm hoping that won't be me, whoever doesn't get that opportunity to serve, I hope uh, each one of them continue to care deeply about this town and look for ways to serve in the capacities that they bring. Yeah. And it's exciting, right? Uh, it shows that the, <laughs> the conversations are there. <laughs> exactly. Well, we're getting pretty close to wrapping up here. Is there anything that we didn't talk about that you would... Uh, that you'd like to mention? Any well, topics that are particularly important to you? Yeah, I do want to point out that the projections are that this particular election will be some of the lowest turnout of a municipal election in years. And I like to encourage people, don't let that happen. There's no reason for that. Uh Every voice is important. Uh, early registration, or I'm sorry, early voting has already opened, so people don't have to worry about trying to um, get it all in on April 2nd. But certainly by April 2nd, I want to encourage every single person to take advantage of the right and privilege that we have as citizens to let their voices be made known, to fill those three seats with the candidates that they feel is a uh, most uh, will best serve them. I hope that I, Pat Turner, will be one of those names that uh, they keep in mind. Uh, but I want to encourage everybody to take advantage of the, the opportunity to vote. Yeah, that's a great point. The I think uh, I'll, I'll sit down and argue with anybody that local politics 
it has the biggest effect on their life and federal the least. But unfortunately, the amount of interest in federal politics and turnout is exactly the opposite of it. Yeah. So uh, it starts here. It starts on the yeah. ground and we can we can do it. Pat, how can people learn more about you? So I encourage them to go to uh, votepatturner.com. That's my website. There's more information uh, and a way to reach out if they want to contact me. I'm happy to talk uh, directly and answer questions. They can uh, look on Facebook at uh, Pat Turner for Normal Town Council and uh, or Vote Pat Turner on Facebook. And there's all kinds of information about where I'll be in the community, what we'll be doing. And if they want to meet us at an event, happy to to make those acquaintances. Great. Well, thanks a lot for stopping by and chatting with us. And uh, good luck on April 2nd. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to that interview with Pat Turner. I'm really glad that she came in, and that completes our suite of normal town council candidates. We got our last three Bloomington candidates scheduled to be released soon, and then that will be the conclusion of PodBN Elections Edition for 2019. Thanks again to our sponsors, Little Beaver Brewery and Play Normal Esports. It's been a wild ride. Thanks for sticking with us, and we'll have more stuff to come for you soon. If you're not sure what those beers taste like and you want a description, too bad. I'm not going to give it to you. Go over there and try them yourself. That's a much better approach.